listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. We decided when we opened we would never take a dime of money from the government. We treat Medicare patients, sometimes free, sometimes they pay our website fees, but we do not accept any money from the government, never have, never plan to. You just heard some inspirational words from Dr. Keith Smith, the co-founder of the Oklahoma Surgery Center, just one of many of the incredibly inspiring lectures that we heard at the uh, meeting we just had for uh, direct primary care. Uh, Doctor Patient Care Foundation held this meeting uh, sponsored by the Physicians Foundation and co-hosted by the Texas Medical Association. Uh, this was one incredible meeting and you heard Dr. Howe last week talk about uh, how exciting this meeting was. Uh, this show will complement that meeting by playing expert excerpts uh, most of the time so that you get a sense of being at this meeting. Hello once again. Uh, welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks again for joining us for yet another session of the Doctor's Lounge. This one will be different from many shows. Uh, we'll be playing uh, excerpts from the meeting on direct primary care, and uh, this is one heck of an exciting meeting we had. This, is, this was different than any other doctor's meeting I think I have ever been to. The level of intensity, uh, the level of excitement among the participants, um, every session had questions almost lined up around the block, the audience microphones, five, six people deep. Uh, in many situations, the uh, questions and answers ran longer than the presentations themselves. Uh, the meeting was that exciting. Uh, it was that intense. So what we're going to do uh, during the first segment is I'm going to play a bunch of excerpts from the morning lectures of the meeting. And then for the remaining three segments, we're going to play the section on health information technology, which I had the honor of moderating. And uh, that will cover the hour. So we're going to jump right in here because we're short on time with all the stuff I want to play for you. Uh, the first thing you're going to hear is some uh, introductory uh, comments from uh, our president, Dr. Lee Gross, uh, telling us how he got started with his primary, uh, direct primary care practice. Here we go. Uh, and one of, one of our patients approached us and said, you know, I have a company of, of 10 employees in my heating and air conditioning company, and all 10 of my employees see you as their physician. Why am I paying an insurance company to pay you when my insurance rates keep going up? Why don't I just hire you to take care of my employees? And that way I can take out a catastrophic health insurance policy on them. And even if I paid their deductibles, I'm likely still going to come out ahead at the end of the day. And that's sort of when that light went off that said, why are we insuring primary care? Why are we using the least efficient, least effective means of, of financing something, health insurance, to pay for the most basic aspect of medical care, primary care? It defies logic. You know, if I want to give you a dollar bill, why don't I just give you a dollar bill? Why should I give it to you, pass it through, have every single person that touches that dollar bill take a penny out of it, and then you have to pay a 30% administrative charge to cash that check? It's It's absurd. <laughs> So very uh, insightful comments as to how this whole thing started. Next, you're going to hear uh, a couple of excerpts from uh, from Josh Umber, who uh, is another direct primary care pioneer. So here were Josh's remarks. 
So as we collectively learn from each other and build that movement, I think that's a little bit different than what we're used to seeing in healthcare. Uh, it's a little bit proprietary. It's a little bit closed off. And here the group can't wait to share what they've done, what they've learned, mistakes they've made, but th lessons they've learned. Um, that's some of the value we bring to each other uh, in the direct care movement is, is that we can share and learn so much. Uh, one of the things I love doing, though, about the, the direct care process is the fact that we are, are putting the focus directly where it should be, and that's on the patient. And, and adding value to your practice not only helps you get started and, and grow quicker and be successful, but it's, it's helping our patients in a way that I, I, can't, I don't think we can say we've been doing for a long time. Uh, it, a lot of people are quick to blame government or insurance or regulators or all these other things for the, the problems in health care. And I would say we should blame ourselves first. You, we're the gatekeepers of care. We're, we're the delivery there. We're right there on the front lines. And a refusal to go look for value for our patients means our patients never get it. And, and by default, we're not helping them. If, if we really take our oath seriously of do no harm, that should include do no financial harm. You, you, present as much value to our patients as we possibly can because they deserve it that way. And, and I have a supercomputer in my pocket because technology industries understand they have to continually add value and innovate and push and keep prices low. And, and in healthcare, we somehow reject that often. Um, I don't know if it's a sense that medicine is different than a business or it shouldn't be or we're afraid to mix the two, but we shouldn't. The, the most successful direct care practices are the ones who are, are bringing so much to the table that a patient looks at that, that math like that, like Lee's, and says, my God, why wouldn't I join? Um, if anything, where's the catch? Th this should sound so uh, too good to be true to the average patient, employer, and, and honestly, even insurance companies. Uh, the insurance companies don't trust us because we don't trust them, rightfully so. Uh, but, but they, they haven't seen this much value before. They don't know why an EKG can be free when they're paying $100 for it. But an EKG cost me $0.36 cents in the office. So I, I can charge a dollar for it, and, you know, 300% profit, you know, damn capitalism. Um, or I can give it away free. Uh, there was actually, he was a Texas businessman whose name escapes me, but he said, if you wouldn't charge your friend to do it, don't charge your customer to do it. Some of the other things direct care does is, is roughly the unlimited or, or, you know, or, or high number of office visits, uh, home visits, um, technology. Uh, we use technology everywhere else in our lives. We, we all used you know, an ample amount of technology just to get here. Uh, Uber and, and the hotels or Airbnb or watching Netflix in the airport or something. But then we get to healthcare and we quit using technology. But we'll all say that, that communication is, is the, the, the foundation of any good relationship. Unless it's a patient, then we, we make them go through the nurse or the secretary, the receptionist, and eight other people before it gets to the doctor. So direct care being able to, to take technology, bring it right to the forefront of what our patients can use, and that saves them money, that saves them time, that saves them worry. That is a value. And we may not look at it like that, but it really is. Uh, the, the amount of uh, assistance you can provide a patient just by being there. And they can text a picture of the spider bite each day just because they're worried about it or they're too afraid to talk to you, you know, about their depression face-to-face -face so they can email you all their worries. There's a huge value that we bring because the industry, the insurance world doesn't see that as a value because they're paying for it and they can't get a return on investment for that time. 
And, and it's a little bit of a shame that if insurance doesn't pay us to do it, we just don't do it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I won't even offer you to email. My, even though it's, it's good standard of care, we, we fail to reach out fully as professionals towards our patients to add value because the system, most things are a systems error, the, the system didn't uh, give us an opportunity or allow us to or we were not taught to innovate within or around the system. So interesting remarks by Josh Umber. I, the most interesting ones I heard there was that uh, you know if sure if insurance doesn't pay for it, we can't do it, and that makes perfect sense because otherwise we're working for free and we just can't afford to do that. I like the the remarks about technology as well. The same way, I mean, once you're getting paid a regular fee, you're free to communicate with your patients however you want. So we're going to move on to some comments by Dr. Chad Savage, who uh, gave I think a little bit of unexpected advice uh, regarding marketing. Here we go. My topic is marketing your direct primary care practice. It's kind of a challenging topic because it can feel like shameless self-promotion 101. (laughs) And most of us aren't really into that, right? I mean, that seems kind of unseemly, kind of seedy, but I can assure you that that can be the difference between having a successful direct primary care practice and, and one that is not. So when Lee first contacted me and asked me to do this, I've never talked on this topic before, I immediately thought about hard advertising options, things like newspaper ads, television commercials, and radio ads. But I quickly decided, don't do any of them. They're all a big waste of money. Most of you, specifically if you're coming out of training or you're making conversion from an insurance-based practice, don't have a lot of resources. Most of us have found that these are just big money sinks, so don't bother using any of them. But there is one thing that I'd really strongly recommend that you do, because it's the thing that works really, really well, and you've kind of heard that referred to already today. And the one thing that works really, really well is you. You are your best advertising. Ryan was talking about how he had to get out and do a lot of grunt work, do kind of innovative things, try to draw attention to himself. And even now that is still true, even in the early adopter stage. I was one of the first people in my area of Michigan to do this. And everybody thought I was crazy. Everybody was looking at me as though I had something stuck in my my teeth when I would talk to them about that. So Chad goes on to talk about some very uh, interesting comments uh, regarding uh, marketing and networking. Here we go. Uh, uh, so uh, with networking, you know, the practice of medicine is personal. So the best way to expand it and describe it is to engage in personal interactions, networking. And opportunities abound. You just have to look at them. Things like the, the Rotary Club, the Chamber of Commerce, various charity organizations like Habitat for Humanity. And I'm not talking about writing a check, sending it out, and expecting that people are going to flood you. That just doesn't work. I'm talking local charities that you get involved in. You get FaceTime, you know, food banks, or whatever it may be. Uh, uh, schools, churches, uh, basically when Whenever and wherever is an opportunity to network. So, again, this was not some stuffy meeting full of doctors talking about scientific stuff. I mean, I, I like those meetings. They have their place. But you get the idea of the, of the flavor of this meeting. So Chad's got some more comments here um, talking about how neat it is when regulations just go away because regulations can only hurt you as long as you're on insurance. But uh, check this out. 
You are now unshackled from the CPT restrictions about how to run a practice, right? Oh, one visit, one, one problem today, you want another, come back another day, okay? We can bill that. Or it's four, or it's four if it's two and four. So all those limitations, all those restrictions just fall away. You can be the doctor you want to be. Honestly, say, any other issues going on? You know, uh, what, what happens now when you do an insurance model? Anybody who's insurance, you go, oh, God, they said yes. Oh, I got to run. I got to, you know. Um, so it's a terrible thing. In this model, you're, you're scheduled appropriately. It's actually, it's, it's perfectly fine. They love it. And then even if they say no, you may have enough time to go, well, how the kids been? Work going well? You get to know your patients. Isn't that why most of us went into primary care? It's- Isn't that something? And here's some more comments from Dr. Savage about uh, marketing and how do, you, how do you keep your value for young and healthy families that aren't sick that often. Uh, this was really neat stuff. Here we go. Um, be accessible. Most of us aver- or brag about same-day accessibility. You're sick, we'll get you in the same day. We're going to save you the cost on ER visits. The worst place to access care from a financial standpoint is an ER. If you're going to have reserve capacity in a system, why do it where you've got trauma teams and crash carts and everything waiting? You should have that reserve capacity in, in the primary care setting because that's the cheapest place to access care. We do that in direct primary care. Make sure you live up to that promise. So basically, be the type of doctor that you can be. Be the best doctor you can be. Live up to the promise of direct primary care. Um, now it's easy to the sick patients. The uh, I wish my plane worked like that yesterday. The uh, um, it's easy in in uh, uh, to keep our sick patients. Uh, to make them understand the value we're giving them because they're coming in all the time. The hardest ones to keep sometime are actually the healthy because if they're just getting that monthly bill and they, they're like, what am I doing this for? You can lose them. So stay in constant contact with them. Most of the EMRs, and Josh has developed a wonderful one called Atlas, um, have the ability to send out batch emails. You can send them to all your patients. I'm going to have to cut Dr. Savage off. We are at the end of the segment. Uh, stay tuned for the remaining uh, part of the show. You are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web radio coming up more of our direct primary care meeting nuts and bolts to 2.0 stay with us the docs for patient care foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor patient relationship get a pen and paper write down docs for patient care foundation.org that's d-o-c-s the number four patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. 
back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for joining us for the second segment of today's edition of the Doctor's Lounge. The Doctor's Lounge is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We believe in free market-based solutions to the problems facing our healthcare system. Together with my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, we bring you the very best in healthcare policy chat radio. So thanks for being with us. This is also the point where you know what I'm going to do. You know what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you for something. I'm going to ask you to support us. If you like what you hear, if you like all the things that are going on, if you're still listening after one segment and plan to stay for more, we thank you. Uh, But we also ask you uh, to bolster your time support with some financial support. Go to Docs for Patient Care Foundation website. That's uh, www.dnumeral4pc foundation.org go to the donation page very easy and give as much or as little as you can give us uh, this does not happen uh, with just the uh, the uncompensated donations of everyone on the board of the foundation uh, it's something that takes a lot of blood sweat and tears and financial support to continue so I thank you in advance both for your listening support and your financial support so the rest of this meeting, the rest of this meeting, the rest of this show will be devoted to uh, bringing you one more segment of our meeting that we just had in Dallas, uh, sponsored by the Physicians Foundation and co-hosted by the Texas Medical Association, called Direct Primary Care, Nuts and Bolts to 2.0. And you heard some excerpts from some of the uh, Friday morning uh, lectures and For the rest of the show, we're going to play the entire panel that I had the privilege and honor of hosting uh, with two guests, and we will allow that to play, and I will just break that up into pieces, and uh, this will cover the rest of the hour. So I'm just going to start this playing, and we'll go from there. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Welcome to the last panel discussion of the day and live taping of the next uh, edition of the Doctor's Lounge radio show. Uh, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak, and together with Dr. Hal, uh, he and I do a every week, uh, one-hour live broadcast on America's Web Radio and podcast, which you can receive on your podcast app. Just uh, search it uh, under the Doctor's Lounge, and you can find uh, two years' worth of really great shows. And this one will be the next one, which will either be uh, next week or the week after. Uh, another little housekeeping note. Thank you very much for uh, all of the tweets. Um, that has gone very well. Keep up the good work for the rest of the day because we're generating a lot of activity and a lot of interest. So uh, thanks very much uh, for that. So uh, at meetings like this, you know, it, it's, it's almost uh, the rule that, uh, it, that no matter what the topic of discussion is on the written agenda, that eventually at some point the topic will drift towards healthcare information technology. And I don't have to tell you all why that happens, and I don't have to tell you about the havoc that health information technology has, has wreaked upon our practices. Uh, we've heard several speakers talk about that today. Um, I will give you two more statistics to think about, one of which is pretty fresh. Uh, this was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine on September the 6th, and it was a very sophisticated time motion study of how we docs spend our day. Uh, and it turns out with a health information, uh, an EMR in place, uh, that we are about 25% efficient. That means, uh, you know, it's not exactly the same statistic, but for every 60 minutes that we spend in face-to-face contact with patients, holding their hand, talking to them about what we can do for them, uh, we have to spend another 90 minutes touching the computer. 
And that's just not acceptable. And as if that wasn't enough, uh, we have to spend another 90 minutes at the end of every day at home after the kids are in bed, whatever, catching up on all the stuff that we still couldn't do during the day, even with that 90 to 60 ratio. The other statistic I'll give you to think about is related to health information technology and its quality reporting, and we're all so fond of quality reporting to CMS, uh, that the annual cost just for PQRS is about $15.4 billion per year. Now, how much money is $15.4 billion per year? Well, at $10,000 per capita, that's enough to, for healthcare spending for a million and a half people. And that's if you do it inefficiently, right? If we gave it to this crowd to take care of at $50 per person per month, we could cover 25 million people. And that doesn't count the drugs and the other things, of course, but at least in terms of the, the, the annual fee, we could cover 25 million people with the amount of money just on PQRS quality reporting alone. And the real tragedy there, especially for me as a health IT guy in addition to being a doc, is that we're losing sight of all the potential this stuff could have. You know, it could be so much better if we didn't have the feds ramming this down their throats with their sort of top-down vision of how things are supposed to be. And that's what makes this panel very exciting and very interesting is because with direct primary care, we can walk away from all that stuff. And we can do health information technology the way we want to do it to serve the patient's needs and to serve our needs. And so under that category, there's two things that excite me. The first is, um, is the whole concept of telemedicine. When we don't have to get paid, we don't have to bring patients face-to-face -face to get paid, we're free to interact with those patients in any way we wish. And, uh, and Dr. Jeff English, uh, who's with me in, uh, in Atlanta, he's at, uh, the, uh, he does clinical research at the Multiple Sclerosis uh, Center of Atlanta, is deep into the telemedicine, and he's going to tell us about that first. Uh, the other thing that's very exciting is this whole thing of what does an EMR look like that doesn't have to genuflect to all of these regulations that come out of Washington. And Dr. Randall Oates is going to tell us about that. He's the CEO of, help me, Soapware. I'm sorry, Soapware. And they have a, uh, a DPC dedicated product. So we're going to hear from the two of them, and I'm going to get out of the way. Dr. English, you're first. Oh, well, th thank you very much. I'm going to get off the comfy couch for uh, a little bit, uh, about uh, ten, probably 10 or 15 minutes. Um, so first of all, I want to thank everybody in this room, whether it was the speakers, um, people I've gone to Washington, D.C. with. I mean, my feeling is that, you know, the revolution in health care really is direct pay care, especially direct pay primary care, and most of you guys are, are primary care physicians with some specialists. Um, so I want to thank you. I think Brian Hill, and I'm sure a lot of the other people will say the same thing, but Brian Hill was the first one that said to me, and I remember remember that, you know, we're never going to fix things in Washington, D.C. We're going to fix it at the local level, and you guys are really doing that. So, so thank you. So um, I have become an expert on how telemedicine works. I am the IT people's dream because I have no idea how the actual nuts and bolts work, and I need to call them all the time to help fix it. But I really know how to kind of use so I know what technology is supposed to do. Uh, Mike can tell you much more about uh, what it does. Um, and I'll tell you why I got involved, you know, years ago with this. And, and I think, again, this is just a, a, an incredible application for, for direct pay care. We'll talk mo mostly today about primary care, but Brian uh, Hill alluded a little bit to once you start integrating specialists, why this will also revolutionize health care. So I, I, I got into this for a couple of reasons. The, um, you know, I'm in medical school, and I 
turns out I have two of my uh, fellow classmates in the audience here. Um, I remember them telling us that we were supposed to kind of have the diagnosis just by talking to patients down to about, you know, one or two things in 85% of uh, our patients, right? And I realized that my patients were driving like four to six hours to see me from surrounding states, you know, just to spend 15 minutes with me when 85% of what my job was was just going to be to talk to them. Um, you know, the exam and the test really just solidify the diagnosis. So I thought, well, okay, well, this is a really good thing for neurology, right, because we just kind of talk to people. You know, I kind of learned how to use a pen and a reflex hammer, but mostly it's just kind of talking to patients and getting a clinical history. The first satellite clinic we set up was in Valdosta, Georgia, which is four hours without traffic and construction, et cetera, each way for my patients to drive up to see me in Atlanta. And the primary care doctor's office, he said, yeah, really, Jeff, I, I only touch about 10% of my patients also. It's really just kind of talking to them. Yeah, I, I got to use the, you know, otoscope and things like that on occasion. So, um, you know, clearly neurology, psychiatry is where this kind of started. You know, acute stroke care in a hospital with a doctor seeing the patient. But there, I, mean, I really think that, you know, uh, so much of what... Um, we do, we can do via telemedicine. The technology has gotten uh, incredibly uh, sophisticated, um, and I can do probably as good of an exam in most cases, sometimes needing assistant, an assistant on the other end. Um, so clearly I can get a, a, my history is 100% as good uh, in the, uh, via telemedicine as it is when I'm in the office uh, with a patient. It's really just the examination that can suffer, and now we, I can see all the MRIs, et cetera. So I can really do, I think, equally uh, as good of a job. You know, heck, we're, as I said, we're, you know, the military, et cetera, we're doing robotic surgery from distances, so I should be able to, you know, see a patient with telemedicine. So, you know, we're talking today about the future of health care. Well, a lot of it's, you know, where are people going to go for health care, right? I mean, you know, where are they going to get information? You're seeing this transformation already as, uh, as you know, Mr. Goldhill's, uh, you know, mom is, is using uh, her iPhone and using the computer. You know, you look at this generation. I mean, these, these people are not getting out of their office to go see a doctor, a little about a blemish in the, in the, on their wrist or in their throat. I mean, heck, you, know, you need sophisticated otoscopes and computers now, but you don't think the iPhone soon, you're going to turn around and you're gonna, the camera's going to look down your throat and you can send that picture to your doctor? Clearly, you can send the skin pictures. Um, you know, I, as a neurologist now, with my, half of what I do is multiple sclerosis, and these drugs I have are really effective now, but I can kill you, and I can, uh, I have these crazy, you know, skin lesions, et cetera, and it wouldn't it be great if my patients who live four hours away could just take a picture and send me and say, hey, is this is something I have to worry about, or is this just a, a bed bug, which it turns out to be half the time. Um, so I think the, the future of healthcare, you know, when we were in training, I uh, went to Dartmouth Medical School, there was this real, even though it's a very primary care driven um, school, I, you know, I really felt like everything was kind of moving towards specialists. Well, it, it shouldn't have been and it doesn't need to be now and I think it's all moving back into the primary care doctor's office. Um, the specialties are not going to go away and the information is not going to go away and now, my God, you know, what are we going to do now? People are wearing these uh, recordable devices that are going to send you information on their diabetes and their glucose and their COPD, and, you know, you're going to have to learn, uh, you know, what to do about that. But I think that, you know, I'd like to get most of health care, 80% of it, back into the primary care doctor's office, referring to specialists less and... Um, and, you know, as I'll, I'll say in the future with direct pay care, especially primary care, you know, I don't want them coming to your office either. I want them, you know, in, in, uh, in Mr. Goldhill's office, wouldn't it be great to have a room where 
patients could go to communicate with their doctor via, you know, telemedicine and not have to leave uh, their, you know, their office in New York and go see their doctor who might be 30 miles away and it still takes, you know, four hours in New York traffic or Atlanta traffic to get there. So I think that's where good uh, complex evaluations. So I became involved, as I said, you know, we take care of MS patients from like 23 states, most of the counties in Georgia, and it was just killing me that these people were driving four hours for a 15-minute follow-up visit. I mean, I just thought that was insane, which is why we started doing uh, more MS care. As you look at this picture of Georgia, I don't have a pointer, but up there where the MS Center of Atlanta is, there's two MS centers there, and directly uh, east, there's another MS Center, and that's that's it. That's all they have. And the closest other ones are down in Florida or, uh, you know, in, in Birmingham. And so We're listening were to Dr. Jeff driving. English so give a lecture on telemedicine and direct primary care. So you know, we will pick like this up at the beginning of the next segment. You are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks again for sticking with us. We are in segment three. In this show, we are giving you excerpts from a truly awesome meeting that uh, was put on between us at Texas Medical Association and the Physicians Foundation in Dallas last week called Direct Primary Care Nuts and Bolts to 2.0. So we continue with the panel on health information technology. Dr. Jeff English is finishing up his presentation. Here we go. Medicine, which is kind of where I really got started with this. Um, we also do uh, telestroke with hospitals as well. Why do I do telestroke? Because it takes me probably an hour to get into my hospital to see a patient where I can do a telemedicine visit in a patient in New Jersey in five minutes. We're give, making a decision for TPA where it used to take me an hour and a half to do that. So, you know, this is just, you know, obviously the where things are going to go. So, you know, telemedicine, I always say, you know, you've kind of been doing it all your life. You know, you've been using the telephone, talking to patients. That's sort of the first telemedicine. The, the quote of the definition from the American Telemed Association doesn't really include telephone, but it really is any exchange of information via any electronic uh, form where... Um 
uh, where you're at. It's for the benefit of the patient. And, and um, I would encourage anyone who's interested, you, know, you can get on the weekly email list from Amer American Telemedicine Association. They send information all the time on um, uh, legal updates, Washington, D.C., and states and things like that. Um, and again, the telemedicine is going to then expand, as I said, into recordable devices for chronic disease management, which we'll see. So, there, so one of the companies I work with is called Virtual Medical Staff, and that's where they kind of send me teleport into the acute stroke environment um, or acute neurological uh, stuff. We have one of our hospitals that doesn't have a neurologist most of the time, so we do, the cart goes onto the floors and we'll see patients because, you know, I think you and me in the room with the patient is the number one best health care, but number two is telemedicine, three is phone, and four is, hey, sorry, we just don't have access to a doctor, and I've refused to ever let four happen, and I don't think three has to happen either. But there's also, which we'll talk about for, for uh, direct pay uh, primary care, I think the, the just software connecting you guys to your existing patients. And when I talk about telemedicine, when I go to the, the ATA meetings, I, I'll sit there for hours in these, um, these legal, uh, the, the legality of telemedicine, these conferences, and they've got lawyers from around the, the country in Washington, D.C. So, you know, those are, that's an important topic. And also, well, who's paying for this? Well, as, as Mike had mentioned, you know, with you guys in direct pay, uh, especially if it's, it's an X number amount, amount a month, you're going to use telemedicine. You don't really care about who's paying because it's covered in, in your monthly cost. All you care is how do I use this legally and how do I do it to best, you know, keep my patient in their office without coming in and how do I connect to specialists? How do I do follow-ups via telemedicine to see my patients? Um, that one of the things that lawyers always say, and it's true, I mean, the, as you've heard today, I mean, the, what we're doing is light years away uh, from, from what the, the laws, you know, the laws are way behind, right? They always catch up to what we're doing. Hopefully, you know, direct pay care will be 10 years, a solid foundation in the country before people in Washington, D.C. scratch their head and say, you know, hey, maybe Blue Cross wants to have a law on this or something like that. So, you know, you really have to sort of focus on your local laws, your, met, your state Medical board. What I would say, number one, there's two things to kind of keep in keep in uh, mind with uh, telemedicine. Right now, the national law is that healthcare is occurring where the patient is. So little did I know, you know, you think about it, if I'm licensed in Georgia but not in Alabama, but my, my patient goes to Alabama and actually I'm connected with them via telemedicine or on the telephone and I, and I tell them what to do, you're actually, pra you're, you're, one, of the, one of the legal interpretations is I'm actually illegally practicing medicine in the state of Alabama because that's where the patient is. So there's some legislation about flipping that around and saying, well, the patient should be able to access the doctor, wherever the doctor is, as long as the doctor's following their local laws. Now, I know Hal Schurz especially is really afraid of that because that's kind of national licenses and things like that. So, you know, what we're probably going to see is more of a hybrid where there's state compacts where I have a telemedicine license in like 13 states, but I don't have full licenses and things like that. So, you know, those are the things to keep in mind. The other thing is just, you know, you'd, I, I shouldn't be holding up my cell phone here and say, hey, guys, wait a minute, and, and doing a telemedicine visit with a patient. You know, there's the, the HIPAA compliance is the other thing. So if you embrace this, if you, you bring it in direct pay care, I would just always say, you know, you have to make sure you're in a secure environment when you're uh, interacting with the patients. Um, and obviously keep up with the state medical laws too. 
So we're in Texas, so I pulled up the Teladoc thing. You guys have probably heard about this lawsuit. The Texas Medical Board said um, it, it, it said that um, doctors would have to set, see a patient in person before they could use telemedicine because you have to set up a doctor-patient relationship in person for the first time. Um, and obviously, Teladoc wasn't doing that. These were people who were just calling them. So you know, the, the most of the laws are uh, in each state. The medical board will tell you. Um, you know, how, how, what's what's the establishment of the doctor-patient relationship when you're using telemedicine? So again, with direct pay care, you don't really care about that because these are your patients. So as long as you've seen them before, that's fine. In my state, it's a little bit different. So what I, I kind of fall under that second bullet point. Um, I'm able to use technology that makes my examin e examination equal or superior to what they have available. So obviously, they have no doctor for acute stroke. I'm doing acute stroke. Um, I fall within the guidelines. Also, number three there is more what you, what Brian Hill was kind of talking about. Well, what about patients in your office, and you you guys pick a network that you're on to do telemedicine, and then you bring in a specialist. Um, well, the specialist can see that person, because most states, you'll have to check your state, but but uh, Texas is the same, that if you're in, if, if the telemedicine consult is at the request of another physician in a medical facility, then that suffices for the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship, too. So those are kind of the key things you sort of see um, with the laws. Georgia was very pro-telemedicine uh, so they kind of set up some other things like in nursing homes and public schools. They really wanted it to flourish, so they added those things in there as well. So, you know, as I said, you know, I, I think DPC for – or telemedicine for DPC because not only do I not want your patients to have to come to see me, I'm trying to put myself out of business. I also don't want them to have to come to your office unnecessarily either, and I want you to do more frequent follow-ups via telemedicine. Um, and you guys don't have to worry about billing – each, we're not going to get into this, but each state has different laws on if, if you can bill for a telemedicine service or not. So, so I, and, and another great thing is some of your patients are like in nursing homes. So their children are there in the nursing home with them. They don't have to, you know, bring them into your office, which is such a cumbersome thing. They can connect, you know, with you, uh, with your patient directly in that nursing home. And that's another great example. Um, the patients are going to demand it anyway. You know, as I would say, you know, which I, I showed you the kid generation. I think probably I'm 47 now and I still kind of like to go to my doctor, but he's actually just through a tunnel, so it's not that hard. But there's, I, I would think probably the age cutoff of more like a 50 and below, a lot of people are probably going to would rather see you via the uh, computer uh, for many things as opposed to coming with you. Um, so the real, um, basically, with as we said, the legal issues are the biggest issues. You don't have to deal with, uh, with billing at all. Different examples I could give you on, on ways you could you could bring this to your office. More elaborate would be a group like evisit.com. I really like that group. They've got a, a telemedicine platform, and you can you know you can actually do the, the, your notes out of that. You can send e-prescriptions, um, download you know videos, uh, imaging, etc. Um, a little bit more pricey. It's about two hundred fifty dollars a month per doctor. Un unlimited amount of patients, but that gets a little costly unless you're going to build that into your service. Um, and I'm not necessarily sure that you need that. They have the benefit, though, of if you have also a, a specialist on the network, the specialist can actually, they have billing services through that, so the specialist could see the patient and actually bill without the patient ever having come to, to come to see them. But I kind of like the other ones, like uh, VC and Lux SCI. It's about $50 a month, which is easily affordable in your model. Um, 
And, you know, essentially that is just the secure network. So it's a secure network, computer to phone and phone to computer or computer to computer. Um, so much more reasonable, um, uh, reasonable issue and, and compliant as well. So, you know, as I talked a little bit about before, Brian uh, Hill had mentioned, you know, is there a way, people are asking about how to integrate specialists. Well, you know, this may be a way if, if, you, if you had three or four specialists that you call pretty frequently, like Nan, how you doing? Oh. Nan calls me a lot. Um, we could actually be on the same network, um, and it would be a way. So maybe if, if Nan, for instance, picked four or five specials that she calls a lot, if they also paid the you know fifty dollars a month, you can actually do it that way. And um, uh, and 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 I think you could then bring specialty care um, certainly into your practice. So um, the e visits at reduced prices that Brian talked about. So I won't really go over the billing too much. So so you know again in summary, I think it's just it's a great way to improve your care of, pay, of the, the patients that you have if it's you know five or six hundred patients um, the future will bring in specialists there'll be different ways other than the ways we, we have uh, alluded to in the last two uh, last two talks um, you know as I said the, the it's the wave of the future anyway and patients are going to demand it um, I guess the last caveat I would leave you to is you know for, again from a legal standpoint if I was going to do this in a DPC practice I would make it voluntary for the patients and there's all kinds of forms you can pull off the ATA website that you know people will give you the, the patients will give you consent you can explain what this is and it's, it's a type of health care you're voluntarily doing it you think the standards are you know equal but you know you'll always tell patients to come in if there's something concerning so you kind of have you know kind of a waiver in that in that fashion Wow. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to be here with, with such a passionate group of folks speaker. that are, are really wanting to improve the quality of, of a broken system. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just really honored. And uh, I guess the reason I've been asked uh, to come and talk about kind of some of the EMR, EHR, uh, health information technology issues related to DPC, uh, is because uh, I've earned some of these gray hairs. Uh, I, I started out, um, I did a little over 20 years in a traditional family medicine practice in northwest Arkansas and, and absolutely loved primary care, but I detested charting. You know, it was just in the way, and, and uh, ironically, because I hated charting so much, I, I wanted to be face-to-face -face with patients and not, not um, texting while I'm driving through patient encounters. And, and so uh, I, I and a group of doctors, we got together, rolled up our sleeves, and, and uh, actually wrote the prototype of uh, EMR that uh, now is widely distributed uh, that, that would help to, to make the, the EMR less of an intrusion. And uh, I really appreciated uh, David Goldhill's discussion this morning, and it really summarized a lot of what I see, and that's that, you know, the, the, the opportunities are, you know, with, with the, the, the transitions of uh, the Corp GovMed offerings. We will pick know, this it, up at the know, beginning of the fourth segment. Uh, the you are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. At did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? 
All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge, all the way to segment four. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you very much for sticking with us all the way through this special edition of the Doctor's Lounge, which carries replays of a very special meeting that we just finished in Dallas called Direct Primary Care, Nuts and Bolts to 2.0. We've heard some great excerpts from some very outstanding speakers. As I was saying earlier, this was a very exciting meeting with a very electric, very intense audience with lots of questions. And so we thought it would be best to compliment last week's show by Dr. Hal Schertz summarizing the contents of the meeting to actually play some of it back for you. So hopefully we've got this all teed up to uh, finish up uh, the lecture on health information technology. So here we go. Really appreciated uh, David Goldhill's discussion this morning, and it really summarized a lot of what I see, and that's that, you know, the the, the opportunities are, you know, with with the, the, the transition of, uh, the Corp GovMed offerings, you know, it, you know, we're, we're going to be faced with a scenario where most of the population is going to be looking at limited choice, higher costs, lower quality, and nobody's happy with it. And you know, ironically, you look at—I mean, I look at banking, I look at retail. I remember when I used to have—if I needed to do banking, I had to go to the bank. I can't, I mean, it's been years since I've been in a bank. And uh, retail, you know, gosh, uh, I rarely go into a retail facility anymore. And it's, it's just a matter of time, particularly as, as more and more of the community is going to have to be paying basically for their health care. You know, they're going to want the same type of service. So I see a real opportunity for those of us as he... Uh, pointed out uh, the focus being on service, on on quality and efficiency. You know, and that, <clears throat> looking at 
then the health information side of that, the, there's, the, the, there's a real core difference in the goals in a DPC practice and a traditional practice. In a DPC practice, you're really looking at how can I deliver the best service and you know, efficiency, quality. Whereas in a traditional practice, you really have to focus on productivity. You know, you, how many can you see and how compliant can you be with all the reporting? And so, you know, that right off the bat triggers a whole different set of priorities. Where we're looking at, you know, uh, what I used to call telemedicine after Dr. or Mr. Goldhill's presentation, like virtual home visits. I mean, in the point of care, as, as you stated, it's where the patient is. It's not where the clinician is in some facility. That's what people are going to expect. So we need... And as you're doing this, you're putting together tools that allow you to deliver the point of care where the patient is. And that means the patient is more involved. Where, you know, and, and that's how you market, you know, by, by, by delivering that convenience and efficiency that you know, with your arrangements, with your membership model, you're not, no longer stuck to the tyranny of the office visit where everything has to do, be done in the office. I mean, we all know, you know, so much of, of what we see is um, um, it, it doesn't require an office visit. Let me say I got fed up about 10 years ago uh, with the system and opened what I, to the best of my knowledge, was the first DPC practice in the state of Arkansas. And after several years, though, I, I'm just, I'm too distracted, travel too much to, to really be, to do service, but I'm... Uh, I'm still very closely aligned with my original group, and and a lot of what I'm uh, what I'm doing is is in in the work of what I call hybrids, uh, you know, the, where where practices are, are making a gradual transition into direct pay models. But the uh, you know I know EMR is kind of a, a dirty word in the community. You know, it it really is. While it's is the the kind of the central point and the focal point in a traditional practice, it's really kind of, it's, it's a necessary evil for all of us in that we've got to have a medical legal record that's reproducible and shareable. We can't get beyond that. But, but that's where the similarity ends. And uh, to point out some of the differences, as, as you look at solutions for your, your direct patient care practice, you know, you, you, uh, if you look at just the EMRs out there, there are what I call three broad categories of offerings. Uh, there are those that, the EMRs, that with some bolt-ons and with some, uh, uh, with some ingenuity, uh, there are products that can work both in the traditional model and in the direct patient care model. And, and that's, that's, that's just a few, really. And uh, then there are a few that are absolutely saying, get rid of the traditional model. You, you don't need to be uh, concerned about that. And they've really optimized their offerings to serve the DPC community. And, uh, and then there, there are those, uh, and the vast majority are those that are serving the traditional model, and they're just, they're just in, too cumbersome to really be used in, in, in a direct primary care practice. And by cumbersome, 
let me kind of explain what I mean by that. You know, with with a EMR or with health information technology in your practice that that is truly designed to, for service and efficiency from a patient perspective, you know, you're really looking for an EMR that's fo- designed and focused on convenience versus traditional, which is compliance. You're looking at at products that are really clinician and and patient centered. Uh, it, it's it's a truly a patient centered medical home approach, whereas in the traditional model and traditional PCMH, it's it's not really, the P is processed. They're process centered. There's a big difference in the workflow and how things operate. And yeah, I would argue that in the traditional system, the the focus is on having good documentation, good charting, where you people can focus on good patient results. So the technology has to be very different in that setting. And as you look at solutions, that's what you want to be focused on. The you know the 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 real core difference in the workflow is that traditional systems are are really more focused on uh, managing the data, and whereas in a in a in a solution that you're looking for, you're wanting something that facilitates humaneness and caring, something that gives you more face to face time rather than face to screen time. And as you look at systems and how they're designed and how they operate, you can see a big difference in the philosophy and the design uh, of the two. And, you know, your, your documentation can be concise and efficient, whereas with a traditional system, it tends to be very verbose, a lot of, of data, often which is meaningless, not meaningful. And so uh, that's what I would be looking for. You know, you really want a system that allows you flexibility and, the, and, and your focus to be on empathy and caring, whereas in, in traditional systems, they're really on, focused on promoting uniformity and protocol. It's a big difference there. The, where... What you want, you want to be focused on usability. Most systems are having to focus on meeting mandates and regulations. You have the opportunity to really be interested in innovation, whereas a traditional product typically has to be concerned with certification. Big difference. And... I would argue that, that that instead of having to complete your documentation after hours, it really should be completed during the encounter in collaboration with your patients. So uh, in summary on that, you're really fo- interested in a system that through service, it does your marketing, it is convenient and focused on service, whereas a traditional system is going to be looking at creating claims, reporting, and doing the collections, compliance with payment rules and regulations, and productivity. How can we crank the most in? You know, there's that hamster wheel. And 
The, I would argue that the, the end result of health information technology in the traditional system as, as has already been pointed out and will be pointed out again during this conference, you know, it's, it's, it's higher total cost of care where you can actually offer a lower total cost of care. It's lower quality of care, distracted, uh, burned out clinicians meeting compliance where you can offer a higher quality of care where you're focused on the relationship. You're more satisfied. The patients are more satisfied. Where in the traditional system, we're seeing less and less satisfaction all around. And I would argue, you know, the whole mantra of we got to get to a healthier population, you do that through healthier individuals. Healthier individuals, in some, makes a healthier population. If you go about it the other way, saying we're going to take a population approach, you don't get the same results. And with your model, by going direct, you can really celebrate diversity, whereas in the traditional system, it's focused on consolidation. And so, you know, my 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 personal recommendations as you look at at, at solutions, uh, it's uh, unless you go a, a a pure DPC route and and want a system designed for that. You're really going to have to look at at putting together solutions to meet the the needs that that are unique to you and your practice. So you've seen one DPC practice, you've seen one DC, DPC practice. But I really see that in the future that there's going to be a a a a real growing recognition that DPC uh, plus some type of wraparound is succeeding. Where all these advanced, advanced practice models, you know, ACOs, PCMH, all these systems are, are just not failing. They're actually costing more, while the DPC community has results that are showing, you know, 20 to 60 percent cost savings. You know, the that can only be ignored so long, especially as the money is drying up and as our population ages. So. I think that the traditional system is. Believe it or not, we are reaching the end of the hour. So we'll need to cut this off here in just a few seconds. But thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Thanks again for listening. You're listening to America's Webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.